Good morning, Transit family. Feel free to grab a seat. Grab a seat. How's everyone doing today? Good? All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. We're an amazing text of Scripture today. Who here has been enjoying the Ephesians sermon series so far? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I've been, it's been life-changing for me in a lot of ways. So um, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been in, in Ephesians chapter 3 looking at gospel stewardship. And the Apostle Paul has been unpacking to his audience, which was the early church in the ancient city of Ephesus around 62 AD, uh, the, 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 the churches that he planted there, the believers in and around Ephesus, he's writing to them, and he's explaining how Jesus Christ has radically transformed his life from a Pharisee and a murderer of Christians to a follower of Jesus who was entrusted. He was given something by God, a calling, to bring this gospel to the ends of the earth, to the nations, this good news about God's love for humanity, a sinful humanity, and how salvation is offered to every person of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and that salvation has been purchased on the cross by Jesus Christ, paying our sin and reconciling us back to God. And our text today is a transitional moment in the letter to the Ephesian believers, is a transitional moment in Ephesians. If you've read Ephesians before and studied commentaries, uh, you know that Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, that's kind of the indicative of the Christian life, meaning the, uh, Paul unpacks our identity. This is who we are in God, all because of what God has first done for us in Christ Jesus. So for like the first three chapters of Ephesians, we don't have any commands. There's hardly any. There's like maybe two commands that Paul gives believers. Instead of that, what Paul is just praying about, praising, and proclaiming to his audience is he's saying, look at all that God has done for us in giving us his son, Jesus Christ. And he's just unpacking it beautifully for three chapters. So that's the indicative of the Christian life. And then Ephesians 4 through 6 is the imperative of the Christian life. So 1 through 3, this is who we are. And now 4 through 6, now this is how we respond to God's grace. This is how we ought to live in light of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, so the bridge connecting these two sections of Ephesians 1 through 3 and Ephesians 4 through 6 is a prayer that Paul is praying for the believers at Ephesus. And this is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of Scripture and a prayer that you should pray for yourself and for others on a daily basis. It is Beautiful. There is a lot to unpack. We could do a whole six-month sermon series on all the truth that is found here. So I'm only going to preach for four hours today to unpack it. Um, but here's, my, here's the theme we're going to go with. The theme we're going to go with this Sunday with this text is that there is more. There is more that God wants to lavish upon you and I, his children. So I grew up a couple weeks ago, I gave a sermon illustration about my Ukrainian grandmother, and we're going to two for two. I'm doing another uh, opener about my Ukrainian grandmother. So every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every Easter, my uh, Ukrainian grandmother would invite all the family over and cook for like two months a feast fit for kings. The, the, the table was the size of like a football field. It was amazing. You had some of these Eastern European dishes, pyroshki, kaledi, so on and so forth. But then you had these traditional American dishes, some of the best stuffing. I don't care how good your grandma's stuffing was. My grandmother's Thanksgiving dinner was amazing. It was even better, all right? And it was amazing. So you would come, and what was so fascinating, it was, it was hilarious. Whenever you would go to one of these feasts, 
the incessant refrain of my grandmother was, is that all you're going to eat? Like, you literally get your plate in just one bite. Is, is that all you're going to eat? Here, here, give me. And she's, like, loading up your plate. And then once you finish that, is that all you're going to eat? Eat more. Eat more. Eat more. And you, so you're, like, you have to fast for, like, five days. Because, you know, to make grandma happy, you, you can't just come in and take a little bite and say, hey, I'm watching my, my diet. I'm vegan now. Sorry, grandma. You know, like, the, you disown me. Like, that's not how that works, right? Repetitive. The constant refrain was there's more at the table. Why would you hold back? Why would you not want to feast? And so two things when she would do that refrain was, well, she wanted everyone to know, especially her grandkids to know, in case we immediately forgot and went blind, that there was more food at the table. Like it didn't run out, right? Like there's, there's enough there to feed a small army, like a battalion of 500 soldiers could eat. She, in case we forgot, in case we got, we got blinded, she wanted us to remember, hey, there's, there's more in case you're hungry. And how often do us, uh, do we in our walk with God, we forget that there's more that God wants to offer us. Some of us here, maybe this week, we're, we're, we're wrestling with guilt and condemnation and shame. And what if today God's saying, hey, there's more mercy and grace if you'd be willing to come and receive that today and bring your sin to, to my feet, my nail-scarred feet on your behalf. There's more. There's more grace. There's more kindness. There's more mercy. And then the second thing that she wants us to know when my grandmother would say this at this feast is not only is that there's more, but it's really, really good. Like, it'll, it'll knock your socks off. It'll change your life more than a maple bacon donut will, all right? Like, grandmother's cooking. That's a reference to previous sermons, right? It's good. It's really good. And imagine for me that, say, I, in, I invite a friend. He gets invited to the family. He comes in, and we treat, I call him my brother. We bring him in, and imagine he crosses that threshold off of Yonish Drive in Vienna, Virginia, where we'd have those feasts, and he crosses the threshold. He transitions from being outside to going inside, and he enters that feast, that, that fellowship, and he refuses to eat. So that's not what it's about. Salvation is just the fact that I've brought, been brought from the outside to the inside. And how often is that our understanding of the gospel of salvation? That Jesus has just brought us from the outside to the inside. Outside the fold of God to inside the fold of God. Yes and amen. Hallelujah. I've been talking about that the last three months. Maybe longer than that in Ephesians. Last three chapters in Ephesians. But what if the gospel is so much more? What if the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't the, the last step in your walk with God? What if it's the first step of a relationship of love that never ends and goes into eternity? What if it's not a dead end? What if it's an open door to the throne of heaven? What if it's an open chair at the feast that never runs out? A fellowship with God. The gospel is that you and I get God. That's the gospel. And so our sins are forgiven. So we cross from being from the outside to the inside. And now we get to do what? We get to love God. We get to feast at his table. We get to experience his presence. We get to bask in his love. We get to receive his mercies that are new every morning. And that's, that's the greatest call of our life. That's what we get to do. And so that's what we're talking about today is that there's so much more. The heart of God is that there's so much more that he longs to give us. And that's my hope and my prayer today. For those of us that are hungry, for those of us that are thirsty, for those of us that are broken, for those of us that are desperate, that we'd come to, to the king's table just as we are, but leave uh, better than we could ever dare think or imagine. So the three things that Paul is highlighting in his prayer for the Ephesian believers, there's three things he highlights. We're going to read the text. And then dive in. The three points of my talk this morning are this. There is more of his power that God desires to strengthen us with. Secondly, there is more of his love that God desires for us to comprehend. And thirdly, there is more of his presence 
that God longs to fill us with. Let's read Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Verses will be on the screen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you do it again for us, Lord Jesus? Would you open up our eyes, Lord? We need the empowerment of your Holy Spirit to see you rightly, to comprehend your love. We need you, God. And Lord, you love to be glorified in our weakness. You love to enter into brokenness and bring healing. You love to enter into weakness and give us strength. You love to enter into suffering and be our comfort. And so would you do that by your spirit and through your word today, God? Would you give us strength to comprehend the depths of your love for us in Christ Jesus? Would you give us strength, Lord God, to navigate these difficult waters of life following you, God? By your spirit in our inner being, and Lord, would you fill us today afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us afresh, God, with all the fullness of your presence? Would you increase, God? Would you be magnified? Would all eyes be on you today, leaving here? And with a refrain on our lips, who is a God like you? There's no one like you. You're the God of abundance. You're the God of kindness and mercy and compassion to those that don't deserve it. So we thank you, God. We honor you. Oh, precious Holy Spirit, come and have your way through your word and with our hearts. We want what you want, God. So come and search us, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, first point is this, is there is more of God's power that he desires to strengthen his kids with. If you look at verse 14 through 16, I'll read it again because it's so powerful. This is what Paul says in our text. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, in your inner being. And so I love Paul's response here. He's looking back. He's reflecting back on the last kind of three chapters, if you will, everything uh, that he's unpacked about who God is and how he's loved us and giving us his son, Jesus Christ, everything that he's done and everything we are. And what he does is he hits the floor. And he busts out first in praise, and he says, I, I, I essentially bless the name of the Father in whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And what Paul is saying there is what some scholars uh, suggest is that um, uh, what Paul is talking about is how God has redeemed and named a family across the face of the earth from people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And then also that there is family waiting for us in heaven so that if you are a child of God, if you've given your life for Jesus and you've been adopted into the fold of God, you have family. You have brothers and sisters across the globe that you haven't met. But they're family, eternal brothers and sisters of Christ. And you have family that transcends this earthly plane. And you have family waiting for you in heaven. Family in heaven and family on the earth. And this truth, this beautiful reality of God's redemption, God's reconciliation of sinful humanity back to his heart, brings Paul to his knees, and then he begins to intercede, and he begins to pray. And this is the first thing that Paul prays for the church. Essentially, he prays this, God, 
Give these believers strength. Empower them by your Holy Spirit in their inner being. And so it begs the question, as I was reflecting on this, I had this thought uh, in my sermon prep. How is it possible for us to have God's presence inside of us, his omnipotent presence? Remember Ephesians 2? I talked about a couple weeks ago that we are the dwelling place of God, the place where he dwells with us by his spirit. Every believer, to be a believer in Christ and be a new creation is to receive the Holy Spirit. So God lives inside of us. How can we have the omnipotent spirit of God and yet be weak and, and, and need strength? Well, the answer to that question is simple as this, is how can you and I live in a house with an endless supply of fresh, cold, filtered water, if we have a filtration system, and still get dehydrated? Right? It's as simple as that. Um, I don't know about you, but I drink water like 24-7. And the reason why is because I have to, um, I have to, I drink so much caffeine and coffee that I have to, <laughs> I have to stay hydrated, right? Guilty as charged, Right? And often in our Christian life, the way we view our walk, we have this uh, quiet time view of Christianity. Nothing wrong with quiet times. Definitely nothing wrong with waking up early and getting time with the Lord before you start your day. That's amazing. You should do that. I highly recommend it. Okay? But imagine, imagine our quiet time Christianity thinking is, hey, to be a Christian is to wake up early and spend time with God and then give him the peace sign and then go leave him the rest of the day. Right? And so that would be like me saying, drink as much water as you can in the morning because you ain't getting any water to drink the rest of the day right? And if, if, if that was me and that's how I lived my life, I would die in like two days, right? Because I, I, we need water. You need to drink water. And if you aren't drinking water pastorally, just drink more water, okay? It's always a good thing for you, right? Hydrate or dihydrate is the refrain. That's right. Hydrate or dihydrate. And how often do we wonder, like if we live that, life, if we live that way in the physical, I'm only going to take, I'm only going to drink water here on Sunday morning. I'm only going to drink water here uh, in the morning for I'm not trying to guilt anyone, but you know how it is. I've been there. Like five minutes, all right, Jesus, uh, world peace, amen, boom. And we're just, I got, I got things to go, like places to go, right? And then we wonder why, man, there's an aching, there's a longing, because the Christian life is so much more than that. Just as much as you can in the physical, just drink water for a little sip in the morning and think that couldn't take you the rest of the day. In contrast to that, look at this invitation of God. Look at this invitation of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 19. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because it's so simple yet so profound. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Man, and I, I gave them the wrong verse there. This is my fault. But verse 19, if you open up your Bibles, it's in my notes, but it's my fault. It's not on there. But verse 19 simply says this, do not quench the spirit. That's what it says immediately following this, do not quench the spirit. Well, what is praying without ceasing? Right? What does that mean? Like I'm just saying the Lord's Prayer over and, and over again. Right? No, no, the, the, the praying without ceasing is constantly keeping the, 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 the kitchen sink faucet running in your life. Right? And quenching the Spirit is saying amen and shutting off the water, shutting out the presence of God in your life. That's what praying with ceasing is, is quenching the Spirit, saying, God, um, I'm leaving you today. I'm going to work. You're not at work. You're not with me at work. Yoink! Like, I got this on my own. I don't need you at work. Oh, God, I'm hanging out with my kids. I don't need you as a parent to help shepherd my kids. Let me, let me shut that water supply off, right? And so praying without ceasing is beautiful because it's constantly drawing from the rivers of living water. Praying without ceasing is, is constantly taking the empty cup of your heart and saying, God, I need help. God, would you help me? I'm, I'm overworked. I'm burdened. Some of you, it's, I've been calling you and you've been calling me. Some, I can't even get a hold of you playing phone tag with somebody. Like, you know who you are. Um, it, it's because, uh, not in a condemning way, but just the 12-hour the, the days y'all are working, right? Demanding seasons at work, right? Exhaustion, 
difficult parenting situations. Cue my crying kids. They're probably my kids that are crying, right? Like, we need God. We need God. And here's the beautiful thing about us needing God is look at how Jesus Christ describes the Holy Spirit, who he was going to die to give us and die to send to us. Look at verses John 14, 26. But the helper, did you guys see that? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You want to know this simple Google definition of a helper? It's really profound. Here it is. A person who helps someone. There it is, right? And then it begs the question, well, who are the type of people that need help? Everybody, right? People who, hey, hey, when I can't move something, I need somebody else to come help and move it, right? Cue the working out illustration. Cue the we just moved, I need movers to come help me move my stuff illustration, right? God, the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, is, is crying out to all of us today and say, I am here if you want help. Would you just turn on the faucet? Would you just invite me into wherever you find your, in every circumstance, I am present because I am with you. So invite me into every circumstance, okay? And so the type of people that can actually receive help are the people that, one, believe they need help and then are humble enough to ask for help. Because it's not enough just to say, oh, yeah, I'm a mess and I need help. You actually have to posture yourself and be willing to humbly say, and, I, and I'm, and I'm going to take it. And I'm going I'm, I'm to lean into dependency before the Lord because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble and that grace is the empowerment of his spirit to do what he's called us to do. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine uh, last week and we're catching up and he was just telling me a, a cool moment that he had with the Lord where we both are uh, fathers of, of young kids and he was talking about how he always prided himself on being a patient man. <laughs> yeah, is that funny? And he was like, I just always pride myself on patience. And I've realized that, man, just where I'm at at home is I've, I feel like I've lost patience. I'm like a grenade with a pin pulled, essentially. I've lost patience. And I was praying, and I asked God, I, basically what he was saying, and, and the way I'm saying, rephrasing what he said for the sake of the sermon, is what he's saying is I invited God to speak into that, my lack of patience at home. And I felt the still, small voice of God say to me, this is great news. Some of the effect of this is great news because now I can give you my patience. Now that you don't have any patience, now I can step in and be your patience. Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But if you got your self-control figured out, then, then the resource that you're drawing from is about this big versus the, the vastness of God's resources. And so if we were to ask the question, how do we as followers of Jesus Christ change? How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome weakness just for the parents or anyone who has a lack of patience? How do you become more patient? As a follower of Jesus, first and foremost, there's a myriad of ways, right? A myriad of great ways to do that. But, but number one is, God, help God, if you don't give it, I don't get it. God, would you empower me with a power that's not mine? Would you manifest your presence in my weakness? That's how you get it. It's through God, through his presence. And so then when you change, then when God begins to give you progressive victory over these temptations or over these things that enslaved you, who gets all the credit? God does. You don't because you read some self-help book written by a Navy SEAL, by Jocko, you know, and whatever. Like, if you, oh, I mastered this patience thing, I got it. That doesn't bring glory to God, it brings glory to you, right? And I'm not saying that God's not going to partner with your will, but step number one is always, God, would you come in and would you help? So my question to you today is, is I've, as I've been talking, what's the area of weakness in your life that you know you need help? You need divine resources. You need the power of God to come and help you in your life. And on the other side of your weakness is an opportunity for God to come and be your strength. 
on every weakness that you were to express today or confess to people on the, the prayer team today is an opportunity for God to enter into that weakness and become your strength. Any area of brokenness is God, an opportunity for God to come in and bring healing. Any, so any, any area of our weakness, our brokenness, is Jesus comes saying, I'm the helper. I love to help. It's what I came to do was to help and to heal and to lead and to God. Would you just access it? Would you turn on the faucet? Do that today. On the other side of our weakness is not condemnation. It's a God who wants to help and a God who wants to enter and to come alongside us on this very difficult journey called life. Okay? So moving on to our next point, there is more of his love, not just more of his power, but more of his love that God desires for us to comprehend. Look at verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, I love that language, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What a wild prayer, right? Oh my gosh, pray that on a daily basis. God, give me strength to comprehend the magnitude of your love for me. And that's what Paul's praying for the believers. They're already Christians. They've already given their life. They've already responded to the gospel, the love of Christ shown, the love of God shown to them in the giving of the Son. They've responded. And, and what Paul's saying is, Lord, show them even more. Give them strength to comprehend. And then it begs the question, well, why do you need strength to comprehend God's love? Why didn't Paul just say, God, would they know your love? Would they comprehend your love? Would they grasp your love? Paul says, give them strength to comprehend your love. So why is that? Why do we need strength to comprehend the love of God? And there's a myriad of reasons, but here's a, a, a few potential reasons. First and foremost, what we see immediately in verse 19 in our text is this, is that God's love for his children surpasses mere theological knowledge. God's love for his children surpasses mere natural knowledge. Like you and I, can't fathom God's love um, on our own, by ourselves, devoid of God's spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, has to come and help and tutor us in his love. Like, if, if your boy up here was given a quantum uh, physics textbook, some of you in this room would be able to be like, you know, that's JV stuff, Nick, what are you talking about? Oh, uh, we got some smart people in this room. Give it to me. I need, I need help outside of myself because there's some profound truth in this book that I, I don't have what it takes to comprehend comprehend this. And in verse 19, what Paul is talking about, he says, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. What Jake was talking about last week is that there's this, this gap between our, our head and our, our heart in the Christian faith, and how do we bridge this gap from, from mere uh, uh, intellectual assent to God and, and saying every Christian knows, hey, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so, right? Like that's like the, our catechism that every Christian knows at a young age is, is that. How does it go from here to here? And, and the only way that happens, what Paul is saying is, is by the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, would God strengthen you by his Holy Spirit in your inner being? Why? So that you can comprehend God's love. Comprehend that the Holy Spirit has been given to you and that God is a God of love and that yes, God loves you, but know that God really loves you. Not this ethereal, oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 I get it. No, no, I get it, I get it. No, do you get it? Do you realize the intensity of God's love for you? Oh, no, 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 I, I understand, I understand, I get it. Do you really? Do we really? Do I really? Understand it? Because there's been a couple moments in my life when I haven't, I've been on the floor weeping, a mess, right? But if we truly, if God by his spirit peels back the blinders, takes the scales off of our eyes, his love truly brings us to our knees, right? It blows us away that the likes of us would be invited to the likes of him. Holy, righteous, pure, eternal, us, frail, broken, sinful, 
not slow to anger and abounding steadfast love, but quick to anger, right? All the, but yet God still draws near and comes near to us and draws us near to him. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to fathom a love that we can't fathom without him, a love that can't just stay here in our heads but has to go here. We need God's love. It surpasses knowledge. Um, secondly, why do we need God's strength to comprehend his love? Well, well uh, I had this thought cross my mind as I was preparing, but, but watch this. The full magnitude, the unfiltered, undiluted uh, love of God for us could very well crush us. Like, we need to remember who, which, God, which God we're talking about. We're talking about the one true God, the eternal God who has never not existed. The God, creator God, who spoke the galaxies into existence with just his voice. And boom, he stretched out the galaxies like you and I stretch out our blanket when we make our bed. That God loves little old us. And, 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 and so I, um, I uh, in youth ministry, my, youth, my first youth pastor was this super jacked Marine Corps guy, Okay. Great man of God, this guy, Colonel Brian Roberts, okay? He was like 6'2", 200-whatever pounds, and just a gentle giant, full of love, full of the Spirit, and it was just awesome. Like, our youth ministry was, was awesome um, growing up, uh, just because <laughs> of, of the activities he would, we'd go to, like, apple picking, and, you know, instead of, like, picking apples, we would, it would, we, anyways, almost got kicked out of an apple picking place because we were throwing apples at each other, uh, and water balloon launchers were involved. Okay. So that was my youth ministry experience, the Wild West back then. Anyways, all right. So Brian, my, 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 my dear friend and brother uh, and mentor, Brian Roberts, whenever he would see me or see, uh, you know, uh, some of his, his youth group guys, his, the way his greeting was, he was so excited to see you and had so much love for you. Imagine this is your back and this is your stomach. He would go, what's up, Nick? Boom. Oh, and he would just literally smack you with his, you know, catcher mitt hands. Just boom, like put you in a press. But that's how we express love. So literally, I'm tightening up my core and trying to do sit-ups before I see him because <laughs> I need strength to comprehend his love. Now, now watch this. You know, as, uh, <laughs> it's true, it's true. Now watch this. I mean, yeah, he just popped like a, you know, a, a disc out of my back because you know, I wasn't ready for his embrace. So you know as well as I do uh, if, you, if you're a parent of, uh, of, a, of a newborn where that newborn can only experience a certain depth of your love. Because how? Because of how frail that newborn is, right? That, that newborn's so cute, but you have to restrain yourself from expressing that love because you just want to squeeze that newborn because it's so precious, right? But then as the two-month-old or the two-week-old becomes a two-and-a-half-year-old, then all of a sudden that two-and-a-half-year-old, as that two-and-a-half-year-old grows stronger and gets more mature, has more capacity to experience your love, so now you can get on the, the floor and, and just wrestle with that, that two-year-old, throw him up in the air, squeeze him tight, right, and let him know, and they can begin to understand your voice more. And they begin to know and grow and love and hearing your voice and feeling and experiencing your love, the more that they have strength to comprehend. And the reason you and I need glorified bodies in eternity, there's probably a myriad of reasons, but primarily one of the reasons, so you and I don't evaporate into dust when we see God face to face. It's God, glorified bodies are God giving you and I the strength to finally be able to comprehend his love without him crushing us. Right? It's him that's doing that, giving us the strength. It's a gift of his grace. God, would you grant us strength to understand the magnitude and the depths of your delight in us, your compassion for us, that you know our, th you, you know our thoughts, you know what's going on better than we do, you know all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, and yet you're present and you're still saying, come to me for help, come to me, I'm for you, come to me, I love you, that's the kind of God you are, yeah, that's the kind of God he is, that's the depths of his love for us. And then next, 
The third thing, as I was just thinking uh, uh, kind of out loud about these thoughts about why we need strength to comprehend God's love, I think the third reason is this. Because of the strength of the lies we believe about God. We need God's strength to overcome the strength of the lies that we believe about God's heart towards us. Because my default setting, our default setting often in the sinful flesh is God is perpetually disgusted with me. God is constantly displeased. God is constantly just shrugging his shoulders saying, really? Again? You? This thing? Haven't you got over that? That's our default setting, right? It's not gospel. And then that becomes the motivating factor of our life is shame. God is displeased with me. I feel condemnation and shame, so therefore I'm going to try harder and outperform my shame and make God happy through my performance, right? And what the, script, what the gospel says is while you were performing your worst, while you were a sinner and you were failing on every metric there is to fail, God loved you. Jesus Christ died for you. That's the depth of it. Before you could perform, before you could do anything, but even when you're performing very poorly, God loves you more than you could ever dare think or imagine. That's gospel. That's gospel. To the extent that he loves you, that he would die to take on your sins, to free you from your sins, to bring you into fellowship with him. And so then if, if the foundation of our life is, is shame and not the gospel that God loves us, then if we were to restate Paul's prayer here, his prayer would be, and I pray that you being rooted and grounded in shame and being rooted and grounded in condemnation would finally get your act together. You just clean up your act. You just cut it out, right? I want you rooted and grounded in shame and condemnation because that's how you change. That's not what he says. He says something beautiful that you and I being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And the imagery he's using there is beautiful agricultural imagery. Right? If we were to ask the question, how does a tree grow? If you were to plant a little baby apple tree in your backyard and you wanted that to create healthy, life-giving fruit to you and your family and your neighbors, how would you set out to make that thing grow? Just condemn it? Oh, shame on you, right? You stink. Is that all you can do? Is that how slow you're going to grow? No, you wouldn't do that. What you'd say is, hey, just sink those little roots of yours as deep and as wide into that nutrient-rich soil and no other soil. And I'll water it, open up your leaves, bask in as much of the sunlight as you can, and the inevitable outflow of your life will be changed. The inevitable outflow of a tree planted in healthy soil is change, is transformation, is strength, is fruit, is life, is vitality. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The inevitable outcome of roots, of roots firmly planted in healthy soil is healthy fruit. And so therefore, if you and I want to bear healthy fruit, that we, uh, uh, external actions that bless others and advance the kingdom of God, we just have to go deeper in, into God's love. We have to go deeper in our knowledge of him and the depth of his love for us. And out of that foundation, out of that soil will come fruit. And this is the soil, this is the foundation of our lives. The love of God is that thing that should motivate all of our attitudes and all of our actions as followers of Jesus. And the heart of God, watch this, don't miss the heart of God in this. We talk about theology, right? And, and try to get into Greek and figure all this. This is the heart of God. It's for his people to draw their life, their strength, their sustenance from the soil of his love 
his acceptance, his delight, his compassion, and his kindness. And when you and I begin to comprehend that, everything changes. And everyone changes around us. When we as Christians finally both have the courage to believe this and to receive it. And that God, by the power of the Spirit, washes away the lies. Washes away the lies. Going back to my illustration at the beginning, imagine I bring a friend who belongs, who's family, who's invited to the feast, and he's there. But how much would it grieve my grandmother who, 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 who labored for months to prepare this feast, but this person can't get over the lies. It's not truth, it's lies that they don't belong. They're there, they belong, but they're saying, no, I don't belong at the table. No, I, I can't eat here. No, 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 if you only knew. If you, God, God does know. And he says, come close. Let me deal with that thing that you don't think I know about. Bring it to me and see what I do with it. I already know. I know, I, I know everything. Bring, bring your heart to me. That's his heart, that we can be rooted and grounded in his love, not condemnation, condemnation and shame. And the reason why it's so important for us, like if we were to ask, why is Paul praying this for the Ephesian believers? Why not pray for their circumstances to change? Why not pray for whatever? Why is, why is it so important for us to understand that God loves us? Why is it so important to understand the height, the thanks, the, 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 thanks, the lengths and the depths of God's love for us? Two things. One, what if, every sin, what if behind every sin we commit is just believing that God doesn't love us? Like if you and I truly grasped how great and how wide and how deep God's love for us, yes, really us, the pool and the weight of sin would diminish, right? Like if you're tempted to steal or fudge the numbers so that you can get more money for yourself, what you're believing there is that God doesn't love you enough to provide for you, Right? So the root of you wanting to steal is lack of love. The, the, the root of gossip or slander is you want to uh, get joy and delight out of putting other people down because you don't feel that good about yourself and you want to make yourself look better. Well, what if I'm already fully accepted by the only opinion that matters in the entire universe, which is God? And he's accepted me. Then that frees me from that. This is what Thomas Chalmer says. The only way to dis dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. The love of God. When we grasp the magnitude of God's love, the magnitude of sin's appeal will diminish. And then secondly, the second reason it's so important for us to grasp and comprehend uh, uh, God's love is, is living out of the abundance of God's love is our life's very purpose. It's the reason we exist. It's the reason we're here, we're breathing air, we're gathered is because God has gathered us in love. And if we don't draw from the, the nutrients and the soil of, of God's love ourselves and receive it ourselves, we actually don't have love to give to other people. This is what 1 John 4, 19 says. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So begs the question, how do we love? We love because God first loved us. So then how can I give something that I don't have? If I don't have God's love, how can I give that to somebody else? But if I have God's love, then I have something beautiful and life-transforming to give to other people. And so the best gift that we as followers of Jesus can give to other people is God's love and our love for God. The greatest commandment is that we would love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And a lot of times we, we, we have a, event-based discipleship. Come to this event, or a family, family, family too. Like, um, there's a lot of pressure for parents. Um, I've seen this myself, um, and, I, and I've counseled a lot of people in this. Of Man, I feel like I'm failing at shepherding my family. I feel like I'm failing at discipling uh, my family in things of the Lord. Then I say, well, tell me about your walk with the Lord. 
And then they talk about uh, this one story where, well, uh, so I was working out in the morning and I was just weeping. I was overcome with the love that God had for me for like an hour. I think I skipped my workout. And then I went and I, and I told my wife for about 30 minutes, just vomited from the mouth about all the things that God was showing me and all stuff. And I said, you're shepherding your wife's heart. Because discipleship, the way Jack Deere just defines discipleship is this. Discipleship is teaching others to love what you love. So in order to go make disciples, go love Jesus first. Get as, the best gift as a parent you can give to your kids is white-hot zeal for the Lord. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way that your kids know that's genuine. So that when, yes, when you, 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 you gather them together for story time or devotion or prayers and, and worship, when you do that, they also know that they've seen you just crying out so they know it's genuine. And they know that you want them to know the love that you have for them, right? That's our greatest calling is we just get to receive God's love and then give away out of the abundance of what he's given us today. So let's pray that prayer. I'm going to skip point number three for the sake of time. Come back next week for my third point, which I'm going to wrap up uh, when we talk about the God who can do abundantly more than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. My third point goes hand in hand with that. But my invitation, band, you can come on up. Today would be this, would be, um, and I'm, we're going to take communion here in a little bit, would be pray, God, would you reawaken me? Would you restore to me the love I had at first? If you think back to those moments in your life when you just came to faith in God or um, uh, those moments in your life when he did a work of renewal by his spirit in your life, just the step zero is cry out and say, do it again, God. Give me strength to comprehend your love. Because as we, as a church, as followers of Jesus, begin to operate, and if that's the soil we're drawing from, then what this broken world needs out of us is God's love to bring healing to them. But it has to happen here first. So let it happen in our hearts. And so today, we're going to respond with taking communion. Um, this, is, com this commemorates the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. So if you're here today um, and want to partake in communion, there's communion elements in the hallway. Feel free to grab those. And what communion commemorates is the height and depth and the length and width of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul talks about. He says, God, show us the height and the length and the, the, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love for us. And so what communion shows us, it shows us the depth of God's love for us. It shows us how low King Jesus has descended in love for us, that he be willing to die in our place, to enter into our depravity and our brokenness, to take on our sins so that we could go free. So this meal shows us the depth of our king's love for us. Look at where he left and how low he came in love for us to rescue us. But then this meal also shows us the heights of God's love. Not only is God's love about how deep he's gone to rescue us, but also how the resurrected Jesus, look how far his love has taken us. Look at how high his love has taken us. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. He has invited us to the table. The king has invited us to share a meal with him. Look at where he's brought us. Look at where he's come for us and look at where he's brought us. That's the depth of his love and this is the height of his love, that you and I belong at his table. He's invited us to his table. What about the breadth and the width? The breadth and the width of, uh, of God's love is that it's available to anyone today who says yes to Jesus. Doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter what tongue, what color, what nation, doesn't matter your past. 
If you come in the name of Jesus, Jesus calls your name and you say, yes, I want in, you come as you are and you feast with the king forever. That's the good news. That's the breadth and the width of his love that today, this morning across the globe, there are redeemed, the redeemed of God coming together to remember the depths and the lengths and the height and the width of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. So fellowship with God in prayer by the Spirit. We're going to sing a couple uh, songs in response. And, and as the worship is playing, talk to God. He's present by the Spirit. He's here with us. Use this opportunity. This isn't about church. This isn't about a service. This isn't about a performance. This is about you and I finding our purpose, finding our Savior, reconnecting, getting a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you've never talked to God before, you never put your faith in him, there is never a better time than now to begin this relationship and cry out to him and say, God, I need you in my life. I want you in my life. Lord Jesus, give your life to him. You might not have it all figured out, but you come to him saying, I am a sinner, God, in need of uh, uh, forgiveness. Would you forgive me of my sins? I need you in my life. I don't want anything in my life to separate me from you. So come and bring forgiveness and restore me to relationship with you. You exist. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my place and that you're the way to God. You're the way to everlasting life. And so let's do that today before we take communion. And let's celebrate the great heights and lengths and depths of the love of our great God.